Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kyle. That was awesome. I wasn't expecting that. Um, you know, it's really, I love the thing about, one of the things about Bethel Land, if you haven't been here long, is how we honor. Um, that's one of the first things I noticed is how whoever was speaking, there was always this great honor for that person or whoever was carrying something, people honored that. And I, you don't see that many places. Like we've tried to bring it to Mexico and it's still not quite there. So you're in a great place. Um, it's different. But the, the culture of honor is real here. So I really, like, you're blessed to be in that. And so thank you, Kai. I feel very honored that he did that. Um, it's, um, is Jen still is Jen in here? Or is, no, she's gone. Um, okay. Well, my wife and baby are running around because she's 15 months old. So the baby's out running around. But um, again, who was here in January when I shared? Like right at the beginning of the year. Oh, there's a lot of you. Okay. Um, Great, and I know a lot of you from just being at Bethel for a few years, or my wife's been here for six years, I think, um, but we're the Coots family. My name is Michael Coots. Um, I'm gonna be sharing part of my story, another facet of my story today, um, so you can know me a little bit better, but just to give you the, just before you even start, so you can open yourselves to receive, um, we're missionaries to Mexico. We, um, I was an attorney in Atlanta for five years, and uh, I'll share more about that, but um, my wife was a, a preschool teacher, and about three years ago, we left it all to be missionaries, and um, Bethel Land is our home, it's our family, so we're part of the Iris uh, Ministries, like Heidi Baker's ministry, but our family is Bethel Atlanta, so we were sent by Bethel Land to be part of Iris, if that makes sense, because in the kingdom, it doesn't matter what your title is or who you're... And, it's really amazing because we're also connected with Catch the Fire, which is the Toronto blessing. And people, we tell them, well, we're Bethel Atlanta, but we're part of Toronto, Catch the Fire, we're part of Iris. People are like, how are you, how? They can't understand that. Because why would you be part of three different movements? I'm like, because that's the kingdom of God. It's a river. It's a river. <laughs> and um, I feel like we're coming to a place as the body where we're beginning to honor each other's giftings. We're honoring the strengths in others. And Bethel has really modeled that well. I mean, if you know anything about Bill Johnson, he's invited people that he doesn't even agree with fully out to Reading for years because he wants to honor what they carry. And that's, and that's amazing, right? We don't have to agree on everything because honestly, I bet, I, don't, I bet every one of us here has something we disagree on about, about theology or about you know, the Bible or whatever. That's okay. That's, that's family. And family, you, you still love and honor each other, but you can have disagreements, right? So that's just to give you the background. I had a message on faith because faith is something that's very important to me. And I feel like it's a very core message, but as the worship was happening, I just feel like I'm supposed to kind of change directions a little bit. Um, I'm actually better when I'm extemporaneous and I'm kind of going off my feet anyways, so I'm kind of going to just go with what the Holy Spirit's telling me, and we'll see. I've got a lot of testimonies to share about what God's doing in Mexico. He is doing amazing things, as you've been hearing from the, 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 the teams that have been coming, just the miracles, the, the salvations, the, the, the hunger, the, the repentance that's happening down there. But God is really doing something, but it's, it's not just for Mexico. That's where he called us in this season, but he's also wanting to do that in America, and I fully believe that. So what I'm here is to bring the Mexican fire. I'm here to bring the, because the, there's a passion down there. There's a hunger that we need to have. I know some of you are like, wow, it's crowded in here. I can't find a seat. It's hot. Well, that's every, every church service for us. We sit out in the sun where it's 110 degrees for three or four hours and don't leave because we wanna be hearing the word. We wanna be in the presence of God. 
And that, that, when, you, when you can do that and say, you know what, I'm gonna throw off comforts and I'm just gonna go where God is, he's gonna do amazing things because he's purging all, that, all, the, all the things of the world and all the, all the comfort, creature comforts. Does that make sense? Um, I speak very quickly and it was a problem when I was a lawyer. My boss would always be like, Mike, when you go to court, slow down, slow down. So I'm gonna try to, I'll be constantly getting faster and then I'll go back to slow. So I'm really sorry here. Um, but it's because I've got so much just that wants to come out and, I've, and I'm just, uh, it's just a lot. I feel like God's doing a lot. Um, we haven't been here since January and I just feel like there's just been, what the Lord's showing us, it's like a geyser where like the conditions are getting right to just explode. Like, and I was just, as I walked in, it reminded me of, Six years ago this week, when I was at the ABC building, which is where we used to meet as Bethel Atlanta, it was when we met all as one group and we'd meet another building about maybe 10, 15 minutes from here. And we would go for worship for hours and hours and hours because we didn't have to be anywhere. And we would just go. And there was just this, this family feel where you look over and you see people from all different backgrounds and all different cultures and all different histories and all different tr- denominations worshiping God in their own way. Some dancing, some sitting, some with hands raised, some. And it was this beautiful expression of what God did. And I walked out, I was like, I think it's happening again. I feel that, you know? It's like, it's like we're returning to something that was like our foundation. Not that we went away. It's just that God is kind of renewing that again, if that makes sense. And there was something special in that. If you ask the people that have been around for the last five or six years, they'll talk about the ABC building because there's just a lot of ground that was broken during, that, during those years. And that's where I think Beth Atlanta was established as Bethel Atlanta that people know. Um, so I felt that. And I, I've shared this testimony last time, but I just, it's, it, it's so cool to me because today is like 7-7, which is like fullness. And I feel like there's just an experience in the Holy Spirit that's gonna happen for us today. There's gonna be hunger and part of There's gonna be, I think there's people that are gonna receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which you may not even know what that is, but that just, you could call it an infilling or a, a, a blessing, or you can call, I don't care what it's called. You're gonna get, the Holy Spirit's gonna touch you in some way. All right, but you need to be open. So like open your hearts up to receive. Just be open and say, you know what, God? I trust the Holy Spirit because he leads me to truth. And I trust what the word of God says. And I'm gonna tell you that I don't know everything. I've got my own revelation from the Lord and I read my Bible for probably at least 30 minutes to an hour every day. And I have done that for many years. But you might have your own revelation the Lord's given you. And so you, we can disagree. It's okay with me. Um, but I just ask you to like, just be open. And if it's something that's maybe different than what your experience is, that's okay too. Just ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to truth, all right? And, 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 and don't get offended if it's something that's different, you know? Because, like, I came, out of a different, I came out of a more traditional denomination. And when I started hearing about the Holy Spirit and Him moving, it, was, it threw me off, right? It was different. Some of you have had that experience. I think there's people here now who may be in that process right now. And you're like, wait a minute. I know that something happened. I don't know what it was but I want more of it, but I'm kind of like skeptical. Is it God? Is it the enemy? Is it, what is it? Well, I promise you that God is gonna do something in you today, okay? But you've gotta maintain a posture of being open-minded and open heart, okay? So seven, uh, six, 2012, it was in July. Um, Scott Thompson, who used to be a leader in this church, was pre- preaching on the message. Uh, I, don't, I think he just been at Ronald Bonke's school and he was like just full of fire after this evangelism school. And I just went for the first time to Bethel Atlanta because I'd heard about Bethel Reading and a friend invited me. And I was just in the back, kind of like we were doing here with the worship. And there was, I was like, wow, this worship is really good. It's amazing. And I'd been praying, I'd heard, I've been reading my Bible and I've been reading about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I was like, okay, what is this? Like, I, I, I was told that there was baptism, but I, th- I thought it was when you go underwater. And then I see that, that John is like, oh yeah, there's one that's coming that's gonna baptize you in the fire and the Holy Spirit. But John was the one baptizing the water, so I was very confused. And so my friends started telling me, well, there's, there's an experience you can have. And I'm like, oh, I'm, well, if that's a God, I'm gonna ask for it, right? If it's God, like, God, if you wanna do that, do it. 
And so it's like, God, if if there's a such thing as the baptism of the Holy Spirit or an infilling of the Holy Spirit or whatever, there's so many different names for it. Um, I want that, okay? And there's nothing, there's no harm in that prayer, right? You're saying, God, if it's you, give it to me. And I think someone's gonna say that. God, if it's you, I want it. And don't be scared about it because sometimes that fear is holding you back from receiving. And I said that. And that's a dangerous prayer, but it's an awesome prayer. Because on that day, July, I think it was July 1st, 2012, I'd been, I started fasting and praying for the first time and just seeking the Lord, like, Lord, if there's more of you and there's more experience, another experience in you that I can have, I want it. And I'm in the back and with two friends of mine who'd never been to Bethel either, we're just kind of back there and uh, this guy approaches me and he looked like he might've been come from the front. So I assumed he was a leader, but it didn't really matter. And he kind of walks up and uh, he goes, can I pray for you? And I was like, sure, why not? I mean, I'll receive prayer. So I'm just, you know, receiving posture, and all of a sudden, I felt this like weight come on me and I fell back into my seat. Now, if you've come from a traditional denomination, we don't fall down like that. Some of you, yes. You come from Pentecostal, charismatic, and you're falling down all the time. But I didn't have that experience. Or you come from the Mexican church where it's like, that's what happens. And it's not faking it. They just are very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And um, so all of a sudden, I'm, on the, I'm sitting there in my chair for like 10 minutes with this weight on me. But it's not a bad weight. It's like this heaviness, but it's not like heaviness, like oppression. It's just like, what is this? And I'm, and I'm feeling, God, what? my hands start tingling. I feel like there's electricity running through my hands. And I'm like, God, what, what is this? And the guy's gone. And I, finally, after about 10 minutes, I'm able to get up. And I hightail it to the bathroom. And I'm like, I don't know what that was. So I start splashing water in my face. Like, is this just my emotions? Is this me, like, working this up? Because you, you want it to be legit, right? Like, there's truth seekers in here. We want the real. And I'm like, if this is just an emotion or this is just a feeling because I really want it so bad, then I don't want that. I'm splashing water in my face and nothing's changing. And I was like, I think that I received what I was asking for. And that day I actually shared the gospel with someone at a, at a restaurant for the first time. Just went and shared it with a waiter. Like, I was like, I think I need to tell him about my testimony. Which, which one of the signs of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is boldness. And I had boldness. Because that's, that's what happened with the early church. They cried out for a second infilling of the Holy Spirit in Acts 4. And they were filled with boldness, okay, to preach the gospel. And that's what I did. So I did that. And then two weeks later, I met um, praying for, I, I was a part of a ministry called Nightlight. I'll talk about that. We prayed for, we went out and did a ministry in human trafficking around Atlanta, which if, if, you, if you didn't know, it's really bad around here. And we used to go out to like, there's people here like Joshua Hale and, and my wife, Jen, and Mary Beth Francis and Kyle Francis. We used to do this ministry called Nightlight. And we'd go out, like, we were a few years younger. We'd go out to the streets of Atlanta until like 2 a.m. praying for prostitutes and pimps and Johns. And, we'd go, and the girls would go into the strip clubs and prophesy over the women before they went on stage. That's, that's still going on in Atlanta, that ministry, that, in a different face, but it's the same type of ministry. We did that. So we were, we were pretty radical. And I was praying for someone to be healed. And as I was praying, all of a sudden, something came out of my mouth and it was not English and it wasn't Spanish. And I was like, I don't know what that was. And, it was, and I realized it was the gift of tongues, which is another biblical you know, sign of the Holy Spirit. And it's one of the more common ones. So then, then I started, all of a sudden, I had this whole new experience where I was like getting this, like I was having dreams and I was getting words of knowledge and I was getting prophetic words and I was praying for the sick and stuff. So that happened at Bethel, Atlanta, six, no, six years ago. On this week. So it's like my anniversary, I feel like, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so I'm glad to be here. Because I've heard it said, like, you, can't, you don't really need to have words for it. I think it was, um, oh, gosh, uh, I can't think of his name. It was uh, uh, Ravenhill, Leonard Ravenhill. He's like, some people don't know how to explain the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but they know that there was a before and there was an after. 
there was a before and after. Now, my message is not on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but if, if that's something that you're battling in your head, like go read the book of Acts and you're gonna see that there's some sort of experience in the Holy Spirit that's different than when you receive the Holy Spirit when you get saved. It's just different. I don't know how to explain it. I can't give you the right terminology or words for it, but I've experienced it in my life. I know many people here have, and it's awesome. So I'm gonna pray for that later, that that would happen for some of us. And that some of us that wanna get filled again, will get filled again, right? Um, so, gosh, I've had the experience. My wife and I have been in Mexico now for over two years, and like, I've gotten to like be in the car with like John Arnott, and I've been able to sit next to Heidi Baker, and we're getting to meet all these like generals of the faith, just like, and I'm learning all of these like secrets about their their. I wouldn't say secrets, but just you get to know someone personally. You hear these stories about like their journey and stuff, and so I'm gonna try to weave that in too because I feel it's really important as Bethel that we understand the history of revival because. Like we can all trace, we can trace a degree of our of Bethel's breakthrough to Toronto, and we can and Heidi Baker can trace hers to Toronto, and we can trace breakthrough in Bethel to Heidi Baker in the missions movement. So it's all kind of connected. And sometimes I found that in my generation we don't fully know about Toronto, we don't know as much. And if we're not missionaries or like missions minded, we don't know as much about Heidi Baker and Mozambique and and the, what's going on around the world. So I'm gonna try to weave that into our own story, if that's okay with you, because I feel like. These are, like, they're just built, these are platforms that we're supposed to get, go higher. Does that make sense? Like, Toronto is here, and we're supposed to go higher. And then Mozambique is happening, we're supposed to go higher, and higher, and higher. And if you ask John or Heidi, that's what they want. They want you to keep going. That's why I know they're true spiritual fathers, because they're not wanting to die with them. They want it to keep going and go farther. And Bill Johnson would say the same thing, Randy Clark. They're trying to just activate us to go further. But I'm getting to, like, spend time with these people, so I'm learning these, like, things about their personal life. You know, these are hungry people. They were hungry for God. They just wanted God. John Arnott and his wife, they had, had experienced, you know, did you know that John Arnott was a good childhood friend of Benny Hinn? They were buddies in high school in Toronto and they used to ride around together. It's kind of crazy. Um, and so he knew that Benny had this healing movement. He had Benny pray for him. And then in the early 90s, John and Carol come over to, um, to Toronto to plant the church. And they just start getting all these prophetic words about revival and what revival is gonna happen in Toronto. And they had this tiny little vineyard church that was at the end of an airport. It was about 120 people, very small, smaller than this church. And they started going to like chase revival, okay? And that's that I, something I learned at Iris that I think is a little different that some of us maybe have experienced is like the contending, like the contending and the pressing in for more, the searching. Because we believe here at Bethel, you just, hey, step in, he's here. And he is. But there's also an aspect where you're like, I'm seeking, I'm, I'm hungry, I'm going for it. And they're not like exclusive of each other. Okay, there's a season for both. And I heard Uncle, I say Uncle Bill, Bill Johnson say this recently. Um, he, he talked about, there's an aspect of the kingdom where it's like, that the kingdom of heaven comes with violence and the violent take it by force. But there's also receive like a child. So you receive, but you also take. And it's, it's wisdom and it's connection to the Holy Spirit to know when that season is, right? Okay, and one thing that I learned from being at Iris is those are contenders, man. The people that are out there living in the dirt in the middle of Africa, they are contending for more of God. And I think that all of us can like learn from that and say, you know what? I'm gonna step out of my comfort zone a little bit. Like here's how I, you know, I come to church on Saturday and the Holy Spirit comes and I go home. And that's great. And he does and he's gonna come and he's gonna be here tonight. But there's other things. It's like, oh, this person had breakthrough and, and they're gonna be preaching at another church. Well, I'm gonna go see him because I, I wanna see that breakthrough in my own life or listen to a podcast or, or traveling. John Arnott traveled to Argentina to experience the Argentinian revival. 
There was a revival down there with a guy named Claudio Friedson and all these, all these different Argentinian evangelists where it was a revival of deliverance. Like literally busloads would pass by the tents and people start manifesting demons and they'd bring them onto these white tents and they'd start casting demons out. That was the revival was known as. You know, Toronto's the wine, Brownsville's repentance. Argentina, Argentina was, was deliverance. It was, a, it, was a, it was a deliverance and there was healing that came from that as well. So John's like, I want that. I want, I want that What's there. So he goes, and he's, he's, he's telling the story to us. And he's like, I was in this room with like Cindy Jacobs and like all these people that were all, they all went together to like experience revival. And it's like, I'm like, what the, you're, you're just hanging out with like these generals of the faith in this room. And, he, and Claudio comes up to him and I think he's in Spanish. Maybe it was in English. He said, do you really want it, John? And John's like, yeah, he goes, then just take it. Reach up and take it. And John said, well, in faith, he reached up and he took it. He said, yes. He didn't feel anything. He said, okay. But he went back, and on January 20th, 1994, Randy Clark, who used to be like a Baptist pastor, was visiting, and he'd come, and he was kind of burned out, and he came to Toronto, and, and he was like, God, like, I've been fasting and praying for like months, and I gotta see something happen. Because Randy had already had some experiences with, with Rodney Howard Brown meetings. He had experience with John Wimber's meetings in the vineyard, and they're like, we want that at our church. So Randy's out there preaching on like, I think the message was on being spent, spending and being spent, this popular message of his. And then as he's about to do the altar call, it just like a bomb goes off in the room, like in the spirit and everybody just falls out. And it's, people start falling all over the place. And it's not like they're forcing it, it's just like happening. And they said that one of the nursery people looked in the room and thought they dismissed because there was no one in the chairs. They were all on the floor. And that started a, 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 a renewal. I would say it was a renewal in the beginning. A renewal was the church was being awakened in the, in the local body. Because I feel like revival kind of expands more than just a church. So that's just to give you some terminology. So the renewal was happening in that church at the beginning where people were waking up. They're, 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 they're getting their hunger. They're recognizing God again. And that's what was happening with them. But then people heard about it. Because I don't know if you've been in the charismatic movement long. People hear when God's moving somewhere. Like, I've been in it now for, uh, I guess, six or seven years. And, oh, yeah, we know when there's, like, a revival happening somewhere or when God's doing something in some place. You hear about it, and people flock to it. And, that's, and that's, a, that's an amazing thing. That's that taking it. That's that hunger, you know? You shouldn't just go and hop around to revivals and then not do anything with it. But I, I don't believe you should. I think you should take what you get and go bring it somewhere else um, and, and spread it. But um, so... That started, and if you don't know anything about Toronto, they started having nightly meetings. And they did that for about a month, and they realized, okay, we're burning out. So they canceled Mondays because the leadership was, was, couldn't do it anymore. So they started having meetings six nights a week for 12 and a half years. And they said, that, like, I think, like, three and a half to four million people came to that little church in Toronto. And they actually got a bigger church after that. But they were coming, and, and it was, like, mostly pastors and leaders and missionaries who were tired, who were burned out, who were like, I don't know what I can do. And they were coming there, and a lot of them were coming from Episcopalian, Catholic, uh, Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist. It wasn't just the Pentecostals and the Charismatics. In fact, it was probably, a lot of it was from other denominations. It was very open. Um, people were coming and they were, getting, they were just having, they called it floor time. And they would just be on the floor for hours. And that's where the breakthrough happened for them. And, and people watching it from the outside were like, what is this? This isn't God. Even their own denomination was like, we don't think this is God. And they actually moved out of the denomination. So that's, I mean, when God comes, we, sometimes it, it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to tell you that. Like, sometimes when God comes, it's weird. Think about if you're to the world, but sometimes it's, it's even weirder to the church that hasn't experienced it. Because the world's like, well, those are just those fanatical Christians. They're doing whatever they want. But, like, it's, it's the church that's usually the harshest about the weirdness that happens in revival. I'm just saying that to set your expectations. I feel like we're on the cusp of something here. And you've got to be ready. Like, are you okay with someone laying on the floor for hours? 
That's what Heidi Baker did for seven days. And now a nation's been saved, and I'll tell you about that. But it, there's time that something that happens when you can say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, put my dignity on the shelf and I'm gonna lay on the floor and I'm not gonna get up until I get what God's given me. And I'm gonna contend, all right? And, 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 that's, what, and, and, and that's what people were doing. They were coming. And then what, what the amazing thing about Toronto, because now we can look at it with the hindsight of 24 years, and they say the fruit from that revival is real. Like it wasn't just an experience. There's nations around the world like that are being changed because of what happened in Toronto. Okay, now there was, there, there was some error and some stuff that happens. And you know what? You just kind of like push that to the side and say, God, we want the real. And if stuff comes in with the real, it's okay. We'll just take care of that. And that's what John said, because people were so offended by what was happening. John, and we asked him, John, we were in a van riding with him for like three hours. We're like, John, how did you handle like the criticism? John Arnott has gotten beaten up over the years. Bill Johnson gets beat up. Heidi Baker gets beat up for, their, for the way, what they've hosted. They, people attack them, like from the outside, the outside of our movement. He said, well, I asked the Lord and he said, my son couldn't please them all. And then he said, I stopped worrying about it. And so John's like, yeah, it's gonna come. And he's had now, he's told us, he got a call last year from a guy from like Virginia or something that came up and said, and one of his pastors said, hey, John, I, I got this guy who really wants to talk to you. And John's like, well, I mean, I, I can't just talk to everybody that wants to talk to me. He's like, no, he really has something important. I think you should listen to him. So John took the phone and said, okay, you know, who are you, what's going on? And the guy said, John, I want to apologize and repent because 24 years ago, I said that the Toronto revival wasn't real. But now I can see the fruit and it's real and I apologize. Because fruit, fruit lasts, right? <laughs> and so th- th- all that stuff happened in Toronto and that was going on for 12 and a half years. And in the middle of it, um, there was a, uh, a, a couple, as most of you know about that, but maybe you don't. Heidi and Roland Baker were, Roland Baker has got a long lineage of, of being um, in, in missionaries. His parents were missionaries and his grandparents were missionaries in China. If you ever wanna read a book that'll rock, rock your world, it's called Visions Beyond the Veil. It's by, it's by uh, Roland Baker's grandfather. It's about an orphanage in China in like the 1940s or earlier where orphans who had no Christian upbringing were having encounters and describing heaven. And it's this amazing book and you have to read it if you go to Harvest School, that's the only reason I suggest it. But if you, it's, it's pretty wild because they were interviewing the kids individually to see what their experience were. They all had the same experiences. So they weren't talking to each other saying, hey, we're gonna make this up. They were street kids that had no biblical teaching. But anyway, so he had his long lineage, Roland Baker of, of, of uh, being missionary. And Heidi Baker was this girl from like Laguna Beach, wealthy, but God had called her at like a, the age of like 14 or something at an Indian reservation to be a missionary. And she, got, she received the baptism of the Holy Spirit then. And then she actually, we found out when they were in Mexico that she was, her first few missions trips were to Mexico where she would just go and have nowhere to stay and was staying with like a family, with her whole family in one room and was preaching on the streets and got arrested. So she got this tie to Mexico. But anyway, so Heidi Baker, and, and Roland, they live in China for a while as missionaries. Then they go to England and she gets her PhD. Her and Roland have PhDs um, in systematic theology, which is pretty impressive. And then, they, then the Lord calls them to Mozambique in like 94, 95. Now, most of us would be like, oh yeah, that's great, not Mozambique. Well, at that time, Mozambique was ending a civil war. They were bombing UN trips, trucks as they were coming into the country. So you couldn't go in as a foreigner. So Roland and Heidi had to sneak into the country. Like a bomb blew up in front of them on the way in. Like a truck blew up. And their car had actually died on the way in and they couldn't get it started. A truck, they found out a truck blew up and then, they were able, then the car started and they were able to go in. It's a pretty radical story. They have a lot of stories like that. So um, they go there and they go to like garbage dump and they're like ministering to kids in the garbage dump. And if you, if you know Heidi Baker, she's like this very loving, like blonde woman about this tall, just full of love. 
full of passion. And they're, they planted maybe like one to three churches in, in South Mozambique and uh, the capital. And they weren't seeing much success. I think she was like sick. They heard about the revival in Toronto. Their denomination told them, you can't go. But they went because they were hungry and they, they wanted God. They said, yes, we're gonna go. So <clears throat> Roland goes and he calls up his wife from Canada to Mozambique, which is like a very expensive call in 1995, and says, honey, I'm so sorry, I, I repent, I apologize. For, he, he, he's like experienced the Father's love and it's changed his heart. And she's like, okay, now I know that revival is real because my husband has changed from being kind of hard to being a very loving man. And so she went and she got healed of like malaria or something and then she went back a second time and Randy Clark was preaching again and Heidi's in the back and she comes running to the front and Randy had heard about this missionary from Mozambique, but he really didn't know much about her. And he looks at her and he goes, and he knew her name was Heidi. He said, Heidi, do you want the nation of the Mozambique? The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the, the lame will walk, the dead will be raised. And she said, yes, and the power of God hit her. And she was out for seven days. It's weird when God comes. Seven, can you imagine that? Just think about that if you did that for 10 minutes. She couldn't move her body. They had to move her around in a wheelchair. All she could do is they fed her water. And she was like embarrassed. She's like, I'm not gonna be like this forever. And during that process, the Lord was teaching her about how to start operating out of his love instead of out of the flesh, which is crazy, right? So she goes back with the word that says, the blind will see, the deaf will hear. Starts praying for the blind, every deaf and blind person she saw. And for one year, didn't see any healing. But that was the prophetic word, right? And that's what the Lord already tells us in the Bible, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. So you already have the, the, you have the confirmation from the Lord. You have the, the commission, but then about a year later, she's praying for a blind woman named Heidi. And as she prays, the woman's eyes turn from like white to brown. She can see it. And she prayed for two more blind people that day. So three got healed. And then from that point on, now in Mozambique, we were like 20, I guess 20 something years later, the nation went from being like less than 1% Christian to now it's like 60% Christian. And this isn't a small nation. It's, I think it's like somewhere around 40 or 50 million. It's, 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 it's not tiny. And we, so that, that is someone that was hungry for God and that went and took it and grabbed a hold of it. Just like John and I went and he went to Argentina. He said, there's revival that God is doing something. I'm gonna take a hold of it. He didn't just say, okay, I'm just gonna wait. You know, God will move wherever he wants to move. And that's what some people say. He'll move in Toronto, he'll move in Brownsville, he'll move in Bethel, he'll move where he wants. But man, there's, a, there's, there's an aspect of this whole thing. It's like, man, there's a, there's, a, there's a blessing that comes when you're hungry. And I found that in my own life. So I hear these stories about Toronto and about, about Mozambique and, and about, and I start reading books by like Bill Johnson and Randy Clark. I'm like, wow, like this is happening in the world. And all their messages are like, you can do it too. It's like, it's not just for them. It's, they're all like, hey, it's for you to take. And I'm like, you know what? I want that. So I didn't just wait. I took it. I grabbed it. I went for it for years. And, and I talked about that some last week. I started um, praying for the sick all over Atlanta. Kyle knows this. We pray for the sick everywhere. Some of my friends here, we'd go out to the streets of Atlanta to like, I used to live in Buckhead. We'd go out to the Buckhead area, which is interesting, praying for people there. <laughs> then we'd go to English Avenue, Bankhead, and pray because we, loved, we had a heart for that neighborhood. And we saw more healing there. Um, actually, a story I want to share that Kyle and I, on his bachelor party day, we, were, we went out. He's like, you know, I don't really want to do a big bachelor party. Like, I really just, I was like, well, how about we just go pray for people? He's like, yeah. And I was like, I'll, I'll buy you a steak. Let's go do it. And so we're like, all right. So Saturday, we go out to uh, English Avenue where Kyle now lives. And we're just walking the streets. We're getting words of knowledge, asking the Lord. And we're walking by this, this like house. And it's like kind of like a set of apartments. It's, like a, it's, like a, it's almost like a shotgun, but it's, it's um, four doors. And 
there's a guy sitting on the very end, but he's kind of a distance. And as we walk by, Kyle goes, hey, does your right knee hurt? And the guy goes, yeah. So we walk over there and he's like, can we come pray for him? He's like, sure. So we go over to this man and he's sitting there and he's like, how'd you know that? And we're like, ah, oh, you know, God? <laughs> he's like, oh, you're Christians? And we're like, yes, we're, we're Christians. And he's like, you know, I was just last night, I was in so much pain in my knee and I was watching some show in like the 700 Club or one of those shows. And they said, you should get two or three together and pray for you. And I was like, I was by myself touching that TV, but now you two are here to pray with me. And we prayed for his knees, like it's getting better. Isn't that awesome? And then what does he say? Actually, I'm getting baptized today. We're like, what? He's like, yeah, I'm going to get baptized in the church today. And we're like, man, this is amazing. So we got to prophesy over him and bless him and stuff. But that just happens when you, when you test out things. Kyle just walked by, he felt pain in his knee, and he said, hey, you have pain in your knee? The guy said, yeah. Well, guess what? That guy's life hopefully got touched in some way. I know mine did. <laughs> and um, that's because we, we had a step of faith and because we believe that God um, wants to do things like that, like heal the sick. And so I hear all these things, and about the same time that I had that experience in the Holy Spirit in 2012, I was also, I'd also gone to Haiti on a mission trip. And... Um, right before that. And while I was there, I felt the Lord tell me like, hey, this is gonna be your life. And I was like, okay, I'm about two years into a legal practice on the way to be a partner. What, it, I'm, I'm gonna be in a missionary? And the Lord said, this is gonna be your life. And I was like, okay, well, I've got like $100,000 in debt to pay off before I do that. I, I'm not going anywhere soon. But I had that promise in my heart, okay, that the Lord said that. And so I, um, continued to press in and see God. And, I, and like, during that time, I was like, I knew I'd be a missionary one day, but I didn't know what. And so I started like, well, like, if I'm gonna be a missionary, like, there's great, we have so much opportunity around us to like experience what God is doing. So I started like listening. I mean, I was like hungry. I would, I would find like testimonies and, and people of God that were speaking. And I'd be like, I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna go and see this person. I'm gonna drive an hour away to see Meltari out at, at Lifegate in Snowville. Meltari led the Indonesian revival. And, and that was like, it was a, like this whole island in Indonesia became Christians because of Meltari. They were literally um, turning water into wine on the island because they didn't have grapes. So they prayed, Lord, we really want to have wine to take communion or grape juice. And they prayed and they prayed and they just started taking it in faith. And guess what? It turned to wine. They were walking across water, if, that can, if you can believe that, because the Lord told them to go and bring the gospel to these other islands. So Meltari and his team, he was a young man. They would just walk they're like, we gotta cross that river. There's the only way across. They're like, well, let's go. They get in it and the water's up to their knees and they're walking across and they get across. And then they see other people trying to get across and they're falling in. They walked on water because the Lord sent them, all right? This stuff's happening in the world. I know it stretches you, but when you hear these testimonies that build something, you're like, God, if that happened in Indonesia with Meltari like 50 years ago, we can do it here, right? You take it. And see, so when you feed on that, when, you, when these testimonies and you listen to them and you study them, it's like your faith just starts to increase. Your faith starts to build. Because faith is a component, guys. Like I know that sometimes, and this is not, faith is a component. You see Jesus say it all the time, your faith has made you well, right? Yeah, and it's very common. So I, that was my message was gonna be like on faith. So I'm gonna just drop something real quick in here. Because um, what, what the Lord has been teaching me, and actually is through the, um, Graham Cook, who's a prophetic guy. He has this series called the Faith Series. It's incredible. Um, about faith, the topic of faith. I recommend it. Um, and, there's, and so I started listening to this about faith. And he talked about how, this is a quote from Graham Cook. Faith is an external action based on an internal belief. 
Faith is an external action based on an eternal belief. You see that? So belief is in your heart, and based on that belief, you do something. And that's faith. And we say in this culture, faith is the currency of heaven, because we know that when you do something, um, it says in Hebrews 11.1, 1, I'm just gonna read real quick, I'm sorry. I'm rolling, but I just feel like I'm supposed to drop this in. Um, in Hebrews 11, this is the, one of our best definitions of faith. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And go on to three. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that when what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So my understanding of this is, as Christians, we are seated in heavenly places. That's what it says in Ephesians 2. That we are currently, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places right now. So you're on earth and you're in heaven. Well, in heaven, there's healing, there's abundance, there's no tears, there's no death. On earth, there are those things, right? So faith is we reach up into heaven, we're pulling down those things on earth. Does that make sense? But it starts with a belief, but it can't end there. You actually have to do something with that. And that's what faith is. And so I, I was, I've been trying to teach this to my, my, my people down in Mexico um, because a lot, everybody believes in healing. I mean, it's, it's, it, people that have been there, we see a lot of healing there. And I'm gonna share some testimonies about that. But when I try to get them to go do it themselves, they kind of like are hesitant. They feel like it's only the guy on the stage or like a missionary. And I'm like, guys, you have faith, go do it. You know, just go, go pray in faith. But you have to actually do something, do something with it. Go pray for the sick. You know, and so that was something I had to learn when I was just, uh, uh, when I was hungry, when I was a young guy, like five years ago, was like, okay, I believe Jesus heals. That's what it says, in the, I mean, that's a whole other teaching, but Jesus heals today, all right? But I gotta do something with that. I can believe that here in my heart, but until I like pray for someone, it's just gonna stay here in my heart, right? Yeah. And, you know, in and, and Mark, um, in Mark, 17 or Mark 16, which some say this is not actually in all of the manuscripts, but I'm going to read it anyways um, because I don't know, it's really good. I think it's in line with what the Bible is. And um, it says, Mark 16, chapter, uh, chapter 16, verse 17. Some of you might not have it. I think if you have King James or the ESV, it's in there, but some others, maybe not. It says, And these signs will accompany those who believe. Okay? Those who believe, if you believe in Jesus here, that's you. Okay? The signs accompany those who believe. The belief starts here in the heart, okay? In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. They will drink any deadly poison. It will not hurt them. They will lay their hands in the sick, and they will recover. That last part I want to focus on. So the signs follow those who believe, but then what do you have to do? You actually have to lay hands on the sick for them to recover. That's the action. Now, in Matthew 28, there's another commission, and Jesus says, teach them all the things I've commanded you. Well, Jesus commanded the disciples in Matthew to heal the sick, so... This kind of affirms what we're saying here, that you're supposed to heal the sick, right? But action is attached to, that's the faith that happens, okay? Could you believe, okay, that's all I'm gonna say about that. But I just feel like it's important that we understand that. Like faith takes action. Like I've prayed for many people to be healed. Many, many, many. I'd say hundreds and hundreds, but maybe even thousands at this point because I pray for a lot of people to be healed. And most people are cool with it until like it's the tested out part. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, if I, if I was praying for someone to be healed right now, and I was like, okay, I believe Jesus wants to heal you. I'm gonna pray for healing. So in Jesus' name, be healed. Not a long prayer, be healed. Okay, what's next? Did Jesus actually heal you? Do something you couldn't do. That's where people stop. Not in this culture as much, but a lot of people will pray and they stop there. And that's where the faith comes in. You're like, okay, here it is. Like I prayed and that was a big step, but the next step is to say, okay, did the person really get healed, Right? 
Is everybody following me? But I feel like that's breakthrough for some of you to keep going. Like we don't have to, to like prove that God is real. Like he can do that himself. We just need to do what he's asked us to do. And I have found as someone who's prayed for many people to be healed and has seen a lot of healing, crazy things that when I asked them to do something they couldn't do, that's like majority of the time when the healing comes. Like sometimes they feel something and it's like in the prayer and that's awesome and I love that. But sometimes it's like, hey, you had knee problems? Okay, kick it around or walk or jump or do something like that. And then they say, oh, I'm actually healed. Because in faith, they're doing something. And see, Jesus did that. He demonstrated this. Do you remember Jesus? Pick up your mat and walk. The guy who hadn't walked in 38 years. Pick up your mat. Can you imagine if you couldn't walk for 38 years and, and someone tells you to pick it up? You're like, I don't even have any muscle in my legs. That's faith. The guy stood up and he walked. So we, we, we need to, we, we, we've got to like um, exercise that faith muscle. And because faith, that faith muscle will grow the more you do this. And it's even when you don't see the healing. Okay, now I believe God wants to heal all the time. That's a core value of Bethel. We believe God wants to heal all the time, but I, not everybody I pray for gets healed. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't want to. It just means that sometimes they don't get healed in that moment, right? But you have to believe that God still wants them to be healed. And you have to pray with that because if we start working out in our head these like theories like, well, maybe this theology is like, maybe God didn't want to heal you because he's trying to teach you a lesson or he's doing this and that. You're gonna get lost. And then, then, it's, then the person doesn't feel love and they're doubting their faith. They're doubting if they have any faith. You've got to say, okay, I don't know what's happening, but I'm gonna keep praying with you. In faith, you'll be healed, okay? So that's, that's on healing. Now, I wanna share some testimonies. Oh, well, how do we get to Mexico? <laughs> I was practicing law. My wife and I have been married for about a year, and um, we felt like we were gonna be missionaries, and we talked about this for, like, the, the whole time that we were dating, um, we talked about how we were gonna be missionaries one day, and um, we felt particularly called to Latin America. We didn't know where. And we were like, we, my wife has been, was a missionary her whole like college and after she like would live in like India and different places, Latin America. And I was um, a lawyer practicing law at a big high rise building in Atlanta. And I, so I didn't have this experience. So it was really hard for me to like leave that corporate lifestyle and go just be, go into the world and like be a missionary. And so I was like, can we go to like a school or something? Can I help me transition? And she... <laughs> She's like, I've already been to so many. I've done, I've done the world race. I've done all these trips. And I, I'm like, well, please. And so then we're like, I think we should go to, to Harvest School. Because we always felt like we wanted to go to Harvest School, which is a, it's Heidi Baker School in, in Mozambique. It's in Pimba. It's like in the middle of nowhere up in the north of Mozambique. And so we found out that the school was going to be starting like 12 weeks later, like from when we decided, or not even like, like eight weeks later from when we decided to go. And we were like, well, let's just apply. If we get in, we can decide. And we got in like in two days. And we're like, okay, I think we're going to go. So I had to like quit my job that I've been working at. It was a really good job. Um, my wife and I had to like pack all our stuff up. So we moved everything out of our, our condo, our, our apartment we were renting and we moved into a storage unit and we just sent some emails and said, hey guys, we're going to Mozambique. Like if you want to support us, support us. And then like we had everything, we had like $12,000 raised before we left, like eight weeks later, which is incredible, right? Because in faith, we went because we felt like God was calling us to do something. And so we did something with it. We didn't just sit there and say, well, all the, everything needs to be perfect. We just said, okay, we're gonna go. Like, we're gonna go. We believe God's called us to the mission field. We know this is in the heart of God to go. And Mozambique seems like an amazing place to go experience revival. So we went. So we moved, so we moved to Mozambique in October 2015 for three months to the mission school. 30 nations represented in our school. So there's 230 international missionary or international students from 30 different nations around the world which just to me is like heaven, you know? It's like seeing people from like Singapore and England and, you know, and other parts of Africa and they're all in India and we're all in this one place worshiping God together. It's this beautiful thing. And you're like in dirt. Like it's, 
it's 100 plus degrees and it's dirty and you're sweating, but like the glory of God is there. And in that experience, I saw the thing that I, I said earlier, I saw contending. You, one of the most impactful things is you have all these missionaries who come to Harvest School to teach or to share from other parts of the world who are Irish missionaries or, or just other missionaries. So we had like people coming from like, um, like Sudan just to go be in the glory for a week and go back to their mission field, which is like, what? And so this woman who's actually the leader of the Sudan base is there and she's getting just the joy, like we were talking about earlier, over the, you know, rolling on the floor and she gets up to tell her testimony and she's like, so I had all my, she's like a, a single woman. She's like, we had all the orphans. We were in this house and there was civil war going on around our building and there's gunfire, bullets going off around us and we're laughing and rolling around the glory of God in the midst of this in our orphanage. And here I am, and we're like, what is this? Like, these people are real? There's people like this on the earth, you know? And she was hungry. She was like, but I'm here because I know there's more of God. You experience that, and you're in Mozambique because you want more? And you go out there, and you see that, those people in Mozambique, the people that have given their lives to this, they they just want more of God. And they say that. They're like, we're here because we want more. But you're like, you've already been doing this for 10 years. Yeah, there's more. We want more. You've seen food multiply. You've You've seen the dead raised. There's more. We want more. And that's that contending aspect of it. It's like, man, God, like, it's not working. It's not like earning anything. It's just like, oh, man, I really want that. And I really want it, and I'm going to go for it. Whatever it takes, I'm going to go for it, you know? And so we experience that. And people from, like, um, other closed nations of other religion where they're like, oh, yeah, we, 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 you know, we can't really share our faith in the streets, but we keep having these people showing up at our house saying they had this dream of a man in white. Who is that? It's Jesus. That's happening all over the Middle East right now, by the way. And I'm sure you've heard that, but it's, it's, I've heard, he said that there's, there's, you come up to the, um, like where the church is, where they gather, I guess it's, I'm not gonna say what nation it is, but there's the people that have seen the man in white and the people that haven't. And they have alliance. And they talk to people that have seen the man in white and they talk to the others differently, which is credible, right? And we also, while I was there, I'm sitting there, I don't, I don't think I shared this last time. There's a, a man who was teaching the Bible school because the Mozambicans are also in school with you. So you've got like 100 pastors from all over Mozambique who come in for three months with the students. And so there's these, these, these really wonderful men and, and some women, and they come in and they're in school with you. And um, some of them speak Portuguese. And so I tried my Spanish to talk to them. And it was, we just loved each other. And this one man who took me to his church to preach I'm, it's like a tiny church in the middle of like, um, I'll just say it, it's a Muslim village, like everywhere Muslims. And here's this little Irish church on the beach. Like, and I go in and I'm like, wow, this is incredible. And it's just like a lot of kids, a lot of women and a few men, and they're worshiping Jesus in the middle of this Muslim village. And they're like, yeah, will you bring the word? I'm like, I don't even speak like your language. They're like, oh, well, we've got a translator here. I'm like, well, he doesn't speak your tribal language. Oh, but he speaks Swahili. So he, you can speak in English. He'll translate from Swahili to the guy who speaks Makua, which is the local tribal language. So I had like three translators. I don't know what they heard, they heard but people were blessed. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I mean, they, they all came up the front for prayer afterwards. And I got to lay hands on them. I was like, well, I don't know what's happening, but Jesus. So then we're, we're doing evangelism in this Muslim village and, and, and praying for people, and it's amazing. And this, and this, the man, the pastor of the church, so he, invite, he invites us in afterwards. It's, very, it's a very warm culture, so they're like, they make dinner for us. And it's me and these two young guys, one guy from England, one guy from uh, America. They're both like 20, kind of timid. My wife and I are there with them, and it's just us four. And uh, we didn't have anybody from the staff. And we're 
and he starts telling stories in Portuguese. So me and my wife are translating to the other guys because we understand Spanish. And if you understand Spanish, you can understand a little bit of Portuguese. And we hear them say something about like resurrection. And we're like, hang on, what did he just say? My wife goes, I think he just said something about raising someone from the dead. I'm like, okay, can you repeat that story? And he's like, okay, he starts telling me, this little pastor in this little, this little small church in the middle of this Muslim village has raised five people from the dead. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Now, this guy's not writing books. He's not, out, he's not out, you know, trying to make a platform. He's just, that's what he does because when people die, they bring them to him and he prays for them. And he told me, he's like, I was a Muslim and I got healed. So I came to Jesus. And I saw that the power that Jesus had, and I said, Jesus, I want that. So I fasted for like two or three weeks and said, Jesus, I want that power that you have. Because sometimes this, you, you actualize your faith through fasting and prayer. Like it's, it's not you're working for anything. It's just you're tenderizing your spirit. You're tenderizing your heart to Jesus. Like some of you don't want to hear, but fasting and prayer might be your breakthroughs for some of you. Like I live a lifestyle of it. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying like it's something I found very important in the mission field is, is staying connected. And sometimes you got to deprive yourself of the things that like the earthly things to, sens- to be sensitive and feast on the spiritual things. And I don't like fasting and prayer. And I'm not saying again, it's not working for anything, but I've, I have, I can say there's a correlation in the level of authority I have over demons and sickness as I've given my lifestyle to fasting and prayer. Jesus said this type only comes out with fasting and prayer about a demon, right? Do you think Jesus ran off and fasted and prayed for a week and then came back? No, he lived a lifestyle of it. Otherwise, he would have said that because he, he was a man full of the Holy Spirit, fully God, fully man, but also a man, he'd given, he'd given up some of his divine attributes. It says that in Philippians. That's another thing. But, um, but Jesus, he was, he's demonstrating something to us. And sometimes that fasting and prayer out of hunger to be more hungry, to actualize your faith, to like bring it to fruition, and some of you need to hear that, and it's not something religious. I'm not, I know some of you come out of religious places where that was like a big thing. I'm not saying that religious. I'm saying doing it out of intimacy. Do it out of hunger. Do it out of a relationship. Like, you know what, God? Jesus, I cannot eat for a day and, and, and spend my time praying or spend, you know, the times I'll be eating to prayer, you know, and just maintain that connection with him because something happens when you enter a fast that it's, it's, it doesn't feel good, trust me, but you start to like, it's just you start to get the sensitivity to the things of the spirit. And the more and more you do it, you're like, I don't know what that is, but I'm just, I'm feeling these things from God. And this message, again, is not by fasting and prayer, but that's a way to like, to like step out in faith and say, God, you know what? I don't need three meals today. I'm just gonna fast. I'm gonna fast two meals and I'm gonna seek your face for what you're wanting me to do. Or I'm gonna fast for a day. You don't have to do a lot. Just, just do something, you know, like in faith, take a step. All, most of the missionaries I've met that live in like third world, third world or like closed nations have a lifestyle of fasting and prayer where they're always doing it once a week. Because it's so hard. Because you, you, like David Hogan down in Mexico, he's not part of our ministry. They fast every other day. Every other day. Because he, believe, he believes it's like battle. Because you're in warfare. Because they, they're dealing with witchcraft and some heavy stuff, cartel stuff down there. Every day. I know people have visited him and they say, it's true. You fast every other day. Okay, there's something there. I don't know. There's fruit in that man's life. They've raised many people from the dead in that ministry. So, okay. So my wife and I go to Mexico, we come back, we go to Africa, we come back, we go to Mexico um, to, to, for an outreach. And, um, and uh, is everybody okay? If you need to go, you can go. I just feel like there's, uh, I feel like there's something that's gonna be released and I'm kind of getting, getting to a point. So, but if you need to go, I completely understand. It doesn't offend me at all. <laughs> I know people have small children as well. So 
we, my wife and I decided like, let's go check out Mexico for two weeks. So we get to Mexico. And one thing that I've been asking the Lord for was like gifts of words of knowledge. I'd seen people moving that gift. I'd seen Randy Clark moving. And I'm like, Lord, I really want that gift. So I get to Mexico and like, we're, we're ministering at churches. And all of a sudden I start feeling these pains in my body. I'm like, I think this is what Randy used to talk about. Like it's words of knowledge for healing. So I start feeling all these pains and I get up on the stage. And I'm like, uh, does someone have, you know, a pain in this part of their organ or their, their intestines? or this ear you can't hear, or you have a headache here, and people are responding to it, and I'm like, wow. And see, that took faith as well. Because I felt like God was giving me words of knowledge, but I still had to stand on the stage in front of everybody and say, hey, does anybody have pain here, or pain here, or pain there? And that's faith, right? Sometimes that's what, just going forward and saying, I think it was Joseph Parkman, I don't know if he's here, taught me this. One time we were, walk, we were doing outreach in, in Buckhead at the bars, and we were walking down the street, and he just yelled at the guy, hey, is your name Steve? The guy goes, nope. He goes, all right, see you later. And I go, and I was like, what was that? He goes, well, Sean Bowles said there's this release of words of knowledge, and we gotta start asking people and trying out names and trying out dates and addresses and things. So I was just trying it, and I'm like, okay, that's how easy it was. That was a step of faith, but it didn't require that much, right? So, okay, we get, I'm gonna share some testimonies, and I know everybody's getting their babies, and I'm, that's cool, because I preach messages two or three times a week with children all over, screaming and yelling, and it's awesome. So it's okay with me. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've had babies literally climbing around the, 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 all, the, all, the podium while I'm preaching, and I can just keep going. So I'm good as long as you're good. Okay, great. So Mexico, what's happening in Mexico? So my wife and I went to Mexico for two weeks. We saw more miracles in two weeks in Mexico than we saw our entire three months in Africa, Mozambique which is like, what's happening down here? Everybody were praying for people. Deaf people were getting healed. Blind people were getting healed. We're seeing all kinds of injuries being healed. And people were testifying to it. And we're like, okay, God's doing something here. And so we decided, we came back to Atlanta for three months, and then we decided we're gonna go join that ministry in Mexico. It's called Kaleo International, but it's Iris. It's, it's the Iris base for Mexico, but they have a different name. It's a long story. I'm not gonna explain that. But we have, we have missionaries along the, the border, and if you've been reading the border right now, it's crazy up there. There's a lot of violence. There's cartel violence. There's, there's people coming from all nations. And we have, like, missionaries plotted in all the major, like, entranceways into the United States, like, in the, like, refugee centers ministering to people and stuff. We also have people on the Texas side, and they're seeing miracles over there as well. So God is doing something on both sides of the border. It's not just for the, another, you know, you hear stories like, oh, that just happens in other countries. We have testimonies of a lot of stuff happening in Texas right now as well in New Mexico. So we... So what is our ministry? We are a church planting movement, but we also have justice ministries, like mercy ministries, I would call it. So my wife and I minister in areas where um, women are in uh, prostitution. Uh, I don't wanna go into too much detail about that, but so we go there like every two weeks. We have favor to go there and minister to the women. It's very different. It's very, um, the women, there's been some of the team here have been with us. Um, we've seen incredible favor there. My wife and I have been going there since 2015. Semi, I mean, we, Regularly, it's sometimes, sometimes the door closes and then it opens. But we've seen a lot of women saved. We've seen some leave the, the industry or leave their, their work there. But I wanted to share a testimony from just a couple weeks ago. We were, um, me and my wife, Jen, and, and these two girls on our team were ministering. And we would come, we bring bread, and we just pray for the women as they're working. They work outside these little rooms, and we come by and we pray for them. And this one woman we're praying for, and she's like, I want to leave. Um, my father has cancer, and I have to pay for his medicine, so I have to keep working. Imagine, that's... That's the level of like poverty that we're dealing with in this. And it's, so it's like, yes, they can make choices, but also if that's the only thing you know, 
you just keep doing that because it's the only way you know how to make money. And it's really sad and it's, it's, it's horrible and it's, it's hard to see, but like we're bringing the gospel there. And this woman comes out of one of the rooms, which is where they work, and she's like, hey, I just wanted to say hey to you guys. And this is all in Spanish, by the way. And then and she's like, well, you, you prayed for me last year and I haven't seen you since. And we're like, oh, okay, well, what happened? She's like, well, I had had a baby and um, had a problem in my womb and I was gonna have to have surgery and you prayed for me. I went to the doctor after that and he said I was healed and I didn't need surgery. We're like, yes, God. And it's pretty amazing because my wife goes, did you see there was a guy in there? Like she left her work to come out and tell us that testimony. And she's like, all right, thank you. And she left. But it's amazing. I mean, that's just real life. That's real life. Like she's, she's in process. God is doing something. She recognizes that God did something through us, but she's still where she was beforehand. And the Lord is slow, you know, you gotta meet people where they're at, okay? And um, we, um, since we're part of the, um, Toronto, we're part of uh, Bethel, we're part of Irish. We've had many cool people coming down to our little town to like do these big crusades. So like John and I has come down twice to our small town of like 20,000 people in fields and preached. And we've, in this last January, he came and, for, and we had about two to 3,000 people come. And then Heidi Baker came and y'all have heard some of the testimonies. She came down in March. And I know the team shared some of the testimonies there, but I wanted to share a couple more um, just amazing things that happened. Um, we had a, um, I was, I was, we, we actually set up a healing tent out next to the event so that people that needed healing could just come while the event's going on. And so we just had this atmosphere of faith. And I'm in there and this pastor from one of our local pastors comes and says, hey, we pray for this guy. And I was like, sure. I'm like, what do you need? He goes, well, I used to be a Christian and I've been back, you know, away from the Lord for many years, but I was driving by the field and I felt the presence of God. And so I came in. I need prayer. I need to come back to God. <laughs> Isn't that the things we pray for? Like we pray for that, right? We're declaring that. God, people are gonna drive by and they're gonna come in. He comes in, he re-gives his life, he, re-com- he recommits his life to the Lord right there. He's crying, this grown man, because that, that, he felt the presence of God. Um, there was a girl that I, I'll, I'll share this. There was a girl that, she, we had a fire tunnel going, this girl was walking through and all of a sudden she started manifesting a demon and that happens very commonly down there and she's just all over the place, you know, w- Doing what, and I know it wasn't the Holy Spirit because she was erratic and you couldn't get her to slow down or to calm down. And so they bring her to me and I'm like, look me in the eyes. And I start getting her eye. And she, you see her eyes are shooting all over the place. And I said, hey, will you look me in the eyes? Jesus loves you. And she's just like, uh, talking to other voices and stuff. And I said, hey, Jesus loves you. You can cry out to him for help and he's gonna help you. And I said, just ask right now, Jesus help me. She goes, Jesus help me. And all of a sudden she just straightens up. And then we had, and I said, and I felt like there was some witchcraft stuff and she'd gone to a, a card reader and there's some stuff where she opened some doors. She renounced that, she spit up. And then she's like, where am I? Who are you? And I was like, hey, God loves you. He just freed you from, now she'd already told me she was a Christian. So I wouldn't have done all that stuff if she had not, she already said, yes, I'm a believer, but she was being influenced by something else. She got free. Actually, she said she went to the car reader because she wanted to be pregnant again, but she hadn't been able to. So she was going to the car reader to find out if she was gonna be pregnant again. Now, she'd been a Christian, but witchcraft is so prevalent now that they all just kind of do it. And so we prayed for her. Actually, after the deliverance, she said she felt heat all across her womb. So we don't know now if she's got pregnant or not, but that's a good sign that maybe something happened, right? Okay. Um, I have so many testimonies that I... Um, I prayed for a man, no, I prayed for a little girl who had a 
umbil- uh, gosh, what do you say? Uh, uh, hernia, umbilical hernia. And it was protruding out of, she's probably 12. It was protruding out of her, like two to three inches above her. Well, it was right near her belly button. It was just out. And I didn't, her mom confirmed it and said, yeah, it's there. And I just said, okay, we're going to pray for it to disappear in Jesus' name to invert. So the girl has her hand on it. The mom has her hand on it. And as we're praying, she goes, ow. And I said, what happened? She goes, well, I felt pain up here, like two, to, two inches above it. And I said, well, feel if the hernia is there. And she goes, it's not there anymore. And it had like inverted in during the prayer. Amen. I prayed for another man a few weeks later, same thing. He had a hernia. Um, he, he had his hand in his pocket so he could feel it. I said, put your hand on it. I'm not gonna touch it, but you put your hand on it. And I prayed for him. And as we prayed, he goes, oh, it just went in. So that's a word of knowledge for you. If you have hernias in here, God is inverting hernias. He's healing hernias. In Jesus' name, I'd love to pray for you on that. Um, there's a testimony that I want to share that I shared like a couple years, like two years ago, but it's kind of got come to full fruition. Um, so when I first arrived in Mexico, there was a man, we, had, we were in a meeting, just a worship night, um, a pastor's meeting, actually, it wasn't a worship night. And this guy comes in the back, and I've shared this testimony before, but it's, it's got more parts to it that I've discovered since then. So this man comes in the back, he's got no shirt on, he's drunk, he's yelling cuss words, he's trying to attack people, and this guy comes up from the church, he's like, well, I found him on the side of the road and I didn't know what to do with him. So I brought him to church. And we're like, all right, this is our kind of, you know, our deal. We can do it. So we go pray for the man. He said, he's like trying to swing at us. He's cussing at us. And he, he falls out on the ground during the prayer. He's just laying there for like 10 minutes. He gets up and I don't see him again. Okay. Because I guess he leaves. Like two weeks later, I'm at church and this guy comes up to me and, and he's like, hey, do you remember me? And I'm like, no, I don't. And he's like, no, yeah, you, you were the people that prayed for me like two weeks ago. And I go, no, no, I don't know who you are. And he's like, no, no, I was the guy that didn't have a shirt on. I was drunk. But I got, I got saved, healed, and delivered that night. Now, I, what I, and I, that's amazing. That's incredible. What I found out, though, was before that, he'd been drinking for like three months straight. He was notorious drunk. In our re, everybody knew him because he was this notorious drunk. The doctor said, you only have a couple more months to live. He went back to the doctor a month later. You're fine. You're healed. So in one moment, he got saved. He got physically healed and he got delivered because he used to see darkness and it all left. And he could see clearly and brightly. So this man, it keeps going. So he goes and he tells his, um, his wife and his wife has been so hurt by him from abuse and different things. She's like, or his girlfriend, they call it wife. It's, it was the woman he was living with. He'd been with for like 20 years. She's like, I don't believe you. It's not God. It's just a phase. It's not, he's not doing anything. Well, he comes to one of our meetings, like a few weeks later, I pray for his shoulder to be healed from like a collarbone injury and he gets healed in the meeting. So he goes home and tells his wife. So she comes to church the next Sunday. She gets saved. The next week, his daughters come, they get saved. Then their boyfriends come and get saved. Then like the mother and the family members. So this whole community is now starting to get saved because they saw what God did in this one man. Now his whole family is saved. Yeah. And... We start teaching on marriage and how it's important to be married with the person that you're, that you're living with. And that, that's out, you're out, I, like, I'm like, you're outside of the blessing of God right now. You're like, you're, I mean, I'm just being honest with him. Yeah, I mean, we have to be honest with people. This is very black and white in the biblical. I told him this. And he said, well, then I want to be married. And I'm like, well, but he's like, I can't afford it. And we're like, because my wife was married previously and she can't find the man that she was married to like 20 years ago and to divorce him. So it's going to cost us like $700. And we're like, oh, well, let's just put a date on the calendar to get married. Let's pray that that happens. And so we had some friends from England visiting, and they actually went back and raised all the money for his divorce. And so he got married like three weeks, about a month ago. He got married. Isn't that amazing? 
And all of his family was there, his, daughter, his daughters. And, they, and then the week, actually the week before, I don't know, during Easter, all, all his family got baptized. And it's this beautiful picture of his whole family getting baptized and they're all crying and stuff. And they've been like this for almost two years. So it's like the fruit is there. It's not just a flash in the pan. It was God really did something. And that's the kind of stuff that God is doing with us. Um, gosh, I, there's so many more testimonies that I could, I could share. Um, and I'm not going to anymore. Um, one thing that has been happening in Mexico, and I just feel like God wants to do it here, is he's been um, pouring out like, his tangible presence on people. Um, I was at a youth meeting with just some youth and I found out that this church was actually very like closed to the Holy Spirit. Can I get uh, Jason? Is it Jason that plays the keys or whoever plays the keyboard? Oh, thanks. So I went to the, so we were, I was at one of our, my friends, I was at my friend's um, like cell group, like a home group. And they're like, hey, our parents' church is having their youth meeting. Let's invite them to the home group. I'm like, sure, why not? And it's all these like kids, like teenagers. And they're in this, and they're all like, you know, on their phones and doing stuff while I'm preaching. It's like about 30 people. And I'm like, he said, my family's church is a little more close to the Holy Spirit. So I don't know how this is gonna go. And I was like, well, you know, Holy Spirit will do what he wants to do and we'll just pray for him. And so I tell him like, hey guys, like, why don't y'all just stand up? And I didn't feel like there was anything special happening. And as they stood up, I said, come Holy Spirit. And they all start shaking, these youth, shaking and crying and they're like falling over. And this is, they come from a church where that's not common. And they're like shaking and they're like, what's happening, what's happening? I'm like, it's God, he's on you, he's on you. God's touching you. And so that kind of stuff is starting to happen. We saw it happen when Heidi was here. Will Hart, who's like, a, 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 he's one of Heidi's spiritual sons. He's one of Randy Clark's spiritual sons. He's probably like mid thirties, like a couple years older than me. He, um, he, 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 he's the COO of Iris. And um, he was on stage ministering and he said, I want all the children. Now there, there are 5,000 people at this meeting. It was a huge meeting in a field. And we had all our Bethel Atlanta leadership with us. And he said, I want all the children from the age of six to 16 to come on the stage now. So all these kids start coming on the stage, just piling in. Now these are children, right? Children more, are not gonna act, they're not gonna pretend to be touched by the Holy Spirit. And he said, he said to kids, just hold out your hands and God's gonna touch you. And he says, more God. And all these kids start shaking under the presence of God and falling down on the, on the stage, falling down in front of the stage. And they're like that for like an hour. Like we have to drag kids off and stuff. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. I talked about faith and I talked about receiving. I might have been all over the place. But I feel like, every, I feel like that there's something for each of you in here. And I feel like there's people here that need that touch of the Holy Spirit, like those kids, like I had in Bethel seven years or six years ago. You need something. And does anybody in here just feel like that inside of you right now? Like you just feel like, raise your hand if that's you. I just wanna, okay. There's like a hunger building. There's something like, God, I want it. There's more, I don't know what it is, but I want it. Okay, well then come to the front. <laughs> if you want because I'm just gonna, it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit, it's Jesus. He's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. So all I can do is bless what he's doing. So what I want you to do, if you want more, whew, yeah, hold out your hands like you're receiving a gift. I know we do that, but it's a great way. If you wanna receive another way, that's fine. Close your eyes so you can focus on him. And just like right now, I want you just to focus on Jesus Christ. He's right here. He's right here in front of you. Imagine, not imagine, just, Jesus, where are you? Ask him, Jesus, where are you? 
Fill me, Lord. Baptize me. For the first time, for the second time, for the hundredth time. Whatever that is. Or fill me. Touch me. Focus on him. Not on what's going on around you. Just focus on Jesus. He's coming. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Sometimes we wait. We did this last time and, and it was in the waiting that the Lord came. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. There's an infusion of faith for your personal miracle, to see miracles financially, relationally. I feel like there's restoration and healing coming to families. Just in faith, say, Lord, I receive it. More Lord, more Lord, more Lord, more Lord, more Lord. Just keep receiving. Stay focused on Jesus, not on me. I told you the Mexicans will sit out there for three or four hours and just wait. The Africans do this as well. We need to learn how to wait in the American church and linger in his presence until he comes. Heidi Baker had an experience where she was, I think she was at Reading, and the Lord knocked her on the floor and she wanted to get up, but the Lord said, no, wait, the breakthrough's coming. She waited for an hour, hours, until she was the only one left on the carpet and Chris Valdez had to pull her off. Because the Lord said there's a breakthrough coming in the contending, in the waiting. Just wait, receive like a child, but take it violently. Come Holy Spirit, more, more. We're on the cusp of something at Bethel Atlanta and it starts with us. The Lord is shaking things. He's forming a foundation to build his church. More Lord, more Lord. More Lord. Some of you may feel heat in your bodies. That's a common occurrence. You might feel like electricity going through your bodies. You may feel cold. You may feel joy. You may feel peace. Sometimes, we, we, this happened last time, people were getting the manifestation of oil in their hands. It was healing. I believe that's, that the Lord's marking people for the gift of healing tonight. Stay in that place. Stay in this place, guys. If you gotta go, go, but I just feel like there's a wave coming if we just wait. More, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Just keep waiting. Keep waiting. I was preaching at an event in Mexico City last month. I was sharing on this topic of revival in the, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how, how Charles Finney, who led the Second Great Awakening, and how, how John Wesley, who was the Method, led the First Great Awakening, and was this Methodist minister, had these experiences where the Holy Spirit did something in them, and it changed them forever. And it was a very basic message. And I said, if you want it, just come. And these youth began to wail and cry and fall on the ground. And it went like that for hours. More Lord, 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 more Lord. Give them more, more than they can imagine. Or hope. Come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. More Lord, more Lord, 
break off fear right now in Jesus' name. The Lord didn't give you a spirit of fear. He gave you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. All fear go. I feel like the Lord is breaking off offense. And that's holding you back from receiving because you've been offended at God. One of the greatest miracles was that Jesus did not, was not offended by the people that hung him on that cross. He had no offense, he actually forgave them. If you've got offense in your heart, just release that right now to Jesus and break those judgments. Offense toward God, offense toward the church, offense toward this church, offense toward whoever. Release it to Jesus and receive his grace, his goodness. More Lord, more Lord, more Lord, more Lord. Give it to him. If you study your revivals, they're all marked by repentance. Returning to the first love, returning to Jesus. It starts with us. Come Jesus. First love. Joy. More. More Lord. More Lord. More Lord. More Lord. More Lord. More Lord. More. More. More Jesus, more, 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 more. Fill, 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 fill. Keep pressing in, keep pressing. For some of you, this has grown familiar. You're like, oh, I've done this before. Push that to the side and say, I'm gonna receive like a child. Like I've never experienced this before. Spirit, a fresh touch. For those of us that have been in this mood for a while, Lord, do it again. Do it again, like you did it the first time. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. Same Holy Spirit, new expression, new manifestation, power, authority, healing. Come, Jesus. Touch people right now. Come, Holy Spirit. He's here. He's here. Do you believe that? 
And that whole word I gave about offense, I feel like there's some deep pains in some people and that's caused, led to offense. And I believe that's blocking you from receiving the fullness that he has for you. There's power in forgiveness. There's power in breaking judgments. Just release these people to Jesus. I forgive you and I ask for forgiveness for judging you in Jesus' name. God, if I've blamed you for anything, I'm sorry and ask for forgiveness. I feel like there's been blaming toward God for sickness and families, for life situations. And we just need to say, God, I'm sorry. I know that you didn't cause that. You're a good father and I believe that. More Lord, more Lord, more Lord, more Lord. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.